Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. The title of the book, Christ and Caribbean Culture, a collection of essays on Caribbean Christology and its pastoral implications and the author is Gabriel Malzair. He's also bishop of the island on which he lives, Dominica. Hello, Bishop. Welcome to Author Talk. Well, thank you very much. Great to have you with us. Now, we're going to talk about a very interesting approach to better help us understand Christ, Jesus Christ. And as you put it, you believe Jesus is equally the Savior of the least as he is of the greatest. So, all walks and colors and uh, status throughout the world. But you're focusing on the Caribbean church, and you're trying to, as you put it, unravel the significance of the Christ event in the Caribbean context. So help us understand what, in general, right at this moment, what that means in this Caribbean context. Well, uh, first of all, um, it is important to realize that, of course, we all, as Christians, we regard Christ as our Savior. Every Christian across the globe consider Christ as a Savior. And therefore, if he is the Savior of one part of the world, he has to be a Savior of the other part of the world. But how does a person within an ethnic setting, within a cultural setting, understand this Christ as his Savior? Uh, on the basis of what we call the incarnation, the fact that God became a man like us, it is indicative of the fact that God wanted to identify himself with humanity. So therefore, this, this, uh, the fact of, uh, of the incarnation made Christ part of us. But every culture has to understand Christ within the context. And it is, it is an attempt to unravel that understanding, that theory, that, um, to put flesh onto that idea that Christ is the Savior of every single person on the face of the earth. And in that regard, I think he has to take our shape, just as he took the shape of the, the Palestinian, you know, he took the shape of the Jews, he took the shape. Therefore, if he is to be my Christ within the context of the Caribbean, he has to find a place within the Caribbean. So that's what I really mean by the contextualization of, of, of Jesus. Well, right at the beginning of your book, you pose the question, who is the Caribbean man? So why is that important as we unravel this context? Yes, you know, uh, I believe that for Christ to be our Savior, it is to help us develop and accept our own self-worth. If we are to be saved, because salvation in itself is a very positive thing. It is, it is the destiny of the human person. And a person cannot be, cannot be saved if he or she does not know him or herself. 
So I think the, the, the uh, contextualization of Christ is an attempt to help us understand more fully who we are as a human person. So in, in, in helping us in, in understanding who he is within our context gives us a sense of, a, great, a greater sense of self-worth. We saw what he did in, in his ministry among the poor in, 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 um, during his ministry, that he made them feel at home. He made them feel wanted. He made them feel, uh, you know, that he had come for, for them. And so too, within the context of the Caribbean, the Caribbean man and the Caribbean woman must feel that Christ is for them. Before we go on, Bishop, tell us a little bit about your background. I am from the island of um, St. Lucia. I was born in St. Lucia, and of course, I studied in various parts of the world, in, in Trinidad, where we did seminary, and then I studied in Chicago. I did master's in, in theology in Chicago, then in Rome as well, and I taught at the seminary for five years in Trinidad. Um, then, of course, um, I, and then in 2002, I became bishop of the Diocese of Roseau in Dominica. Um, anything else would you like to know? No, that, that appreciate that. It kind of gives us a better understanding of uh, where you're coming from, from your life experiences. Yes. So let's talk about the book. It's broken down into three parts, and let's, mm-hmm. let's I guess, we'll kind of give us a little summation of each part. The first part you title The Challenges for the Catholic Christian in the New Millennium. Mm-hmm. Yes. And of course, um, the sub-topics there are uh, one of, of relevance and the question of, of authenticity and the, uh, the, the one of evangelization. Um, basically, it is um, relating in the Caribbean setting uh, what are the, what I'm pointing out some of the challenges that we have in, uh, in, in, in unraveling the, the Christian message. And first of all, I'm, I'm basically saying that in order for the, the, the Christian message to, to penetrate the lives of people, it must be relevant to their lives. Then the question of authenticity, that uh, a Christian is called to be authentic, authentic in every respect, in terms of practice, in terms of belief, and in terms of conviction. And of course, it, uh, the third part talks about evangelization as a mission, what we are called to do. And, and of course, the three subtopics are, are connected. If we are relevant, if our message is relevant, and if we are authentic Christians, then evangelization becomes easy. Because it is the, 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 um, the portrayal of the, the, the message, which is not simply words, but testimony. And of course... Uh, relevance and, and authenticity uh, goes right into that to, to help us realize that our function as, as Christians is to be a witness, not to just speak about witnessing, but to be a witness. Uh, so uh, there's an interrelationship between relevance, um, authenticity, and evangelization. Part two, you title Christ and Ethnicity in the Caribbean. Give us a little summary of part two. And so therefore, it gets into, into the crux of the matter. That, um, again, it, it, it tries to develop the whole um, 
understanding of the Christ event, that um, uh, we are to understand the whole aspect of Christology, who Christ is in, a, in, in, in the context of a Caribbean setting. In the Caribbean, we have several different races. So we have East Indian people from East Indian descent. We have people from African descent, of course, Caucasian, and a mixture. So the Caribbean is a conglomerate. It, it, it belongs to a lot of different kinds of people. But each of those persons or, or groups of persons who are Christians regard Christ as the Savior. So it is an attempt to unravel, to unravel what that means for the various groups. And then I point out to the fact that, yes, if we are to, to understand it, that Christ has to be the Savior of each particular group in the particular context. So the question of, and again, I, I mentioned very strongly the aspect of the Incarnation, which I spoke on earlier. The reality of the Incarnation is the, the fact that Christ came for humanity, and Christ came for every individual person and every group of persons. And within that, you are seems to be you seem to be helping us better understand our self worth, no matter what the color of our skin. And and the the, the reason why I, I point to that is the fact that we come from, especially the East Indian these people of this East Indian descent and the people of African descent in, in, uh, in the Caribbean, we come from a colonial background. Uh, the, the, the Caribbean was colonized, and we, there was um, the experience of slavery and indentureship. And uh, these experiences were, were laced with negativities. Um, slavery is a negative word. In the, in the Caribbean and in many other parts of the world, which means that there was a dehumanization of people. Now, if Christ has come to bring life to the fullest, it means there has to be, a, uh, in other words, a rehumanization of people. So that's what, to my mind, salvation is for a person within the context of, of, of the Caribbean or any part of the world where there is um, oppression or any, or, or that, or any form of, of um, dehumanization. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, helping us to realize that it is a process, an ongoing process of people gaining greater and greater and greater self-worth. I think, to my mind, in a very practical way, that's what salvation is about. We know salvation is, is an eventual thing in the, in the eschaton, in the, in, the, in, the, in the other world, but within the context of the world in which we live, if we are to say that I am saved, what does it mean practically? That I am coming to a greater realization of who I am. Who I am as, uh, as a black person, who I am as a white person, who I am as a brown person, or an Indian, whoever I may be, you know. How I am becoming and that leads better, better knowledge of myself. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, and that leads us right into part three, which is titled "Towards a Caribbean Christian Civilization." You've been talking about already some of that. Right, right, right. And of course, I, I um, this chapter it spans over the entire 
um, gamut of, of, of the Caribbean experience. And I looked at it from theological point of view, uh, from an ethical point of view, uh, from a political point of view as well. And to, to, to look at the the Christian, what, what we would regard as a Christian civilization, what are the, the tenets of a Christian civilization? And, of course, in that... Um, in that chapter, I talked about the history of the Caribbean, the church and colonialism and that experience, the culture of the Caribbean, race and color in the Caribbean, what, what that, that means. And then, of course, the effect of history on the Caribbean as a people. Well, Bishop, as we wrap up our discussion about your book, Christ and Caribbean Culture, tell us a little bit about your theological reflection on as you put it, bamboo bursting. Oh, right. Well, uh, this is a tradition um, we have in the Caribbean that takes place around Christmas time. And um, I liken it to the announcement of, well, of course, it is in preparation for Christmas. It is like, um, um, as, as is reflected in, in, the, in the text, it is the announcement of a great king coming. Uh, I liken it to, to um, the, in the traditions of the past when a great king was entering a city, there was, um, you know, persons with, with, with uh, horns to blow and to announce his coming. So the bamboo bursting that we have in the Caribbean is um, we use a, a, a bamboo um, trunk, and uh, we use kerosene or some oil to create a, a fire, and uh, uh, we, we, we ignite it, and it makes a very, very a booming sound. And uh, as I said, since it is connected with, with the coming of Christ, the, the preparation for the coming of Christmas, I see it as, as um, a, a, a way of the Caribbean people um, announcing the the coming of Christ for the celebration of Christmas. Right in this cultural context. In the cultural context, yes, certainly. We've An been, interesting little piece that everybody would like to read. We've been listening to Bishop Gabriel Malzair. He is the author of his book, Christ and Caribbean Culture. Bishop, what's the best way to get your book? It is, of course, online. It's... Um, uh, through Author House, and also we could um, check on the, the, the website uh, com. They can also be on Kindle, and of course they could um, um, download it and pay a small price for, for, for this. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. All the best. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says 
that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled. And just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them. And this is book one of the Integrity series. Introducing the Colemans, this is Laura T. Coleman. And we'll refer to her as Sister Coleman because this is a book of faith. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. It's nice to meet you. Well, pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for having me on. This is a short read, 54 pages. It is dealing primarily with uh, integrity in relationships. Is that the best way to describe this? You have written this book, and you have plans to release others in this series. What was the motivation behind it? Why did you decide you wanted to share your thoughts and inspiration behind the integrity of the upright? The desire to write this book came over 10 years ago actually during a period when I was a stay-at-home mom, a wife and a mother, doing one of my daily prayers and devotional times. You were in a prayer time, and this idea, this inspiration came to you. What was, what was it that brought this on? Well, actually, I was just transitioning spiritually because I had gone through some health issues after working on my job. But I had been speaking to the Lord and taking notes, and I was suddenly prompted, and I started typing And though I was never able to pass any typing test good enough to get a job, even after serving in the United States Navy for many years. Uh But now I was typing like I was working for the president. Honestly, I don't remember thinking about ever writing a book. I never even considered myself an author and didn't know where to begin or what would become of it. I just knew at the time when I should have been out pounding the pavement for work. I had an overwhelming press to write this message, and I wanted to be obedient. And what what is that message? You talk about the integrity of the upright, and as I was skimming through the book or looking at it, I got the impression that uh, this was a message for guys. Is it only a message for guys, or is this uh, one for men and women who are single or maybe even uh, married? The book appeals to anyone who has a desire to grow closer to the Lord, who seeks after truth and righteousness. God's Word, through God's Word alone, yet it's simple in delivery and tone. Any believer, babes in Christ, seasoned saints, would enjoy this book and be able to relate to it, not just guys. It's practical, and it can be applied to their everyday lives. What is the thing that you want uh, people to take away from your work? I want readers to think about integrity, men and women, and realize that it's a choice and that you can't separate it from your relationship with God. In fact, it's a good indicator of where you are in your faith walk. You can't say you love the Lord, fear and honor Him, but lack integrity in the very things you say and do every day. Again, it's a choice, and it's not just for men, but for women as well, and not just those that are married, which shows a couple on the front of the book, but it's for those even considering marriage and mothers and fathers. The Lord said obedience is better than sacrifice, and while we're only obedient when we adhere to His principles according to His written Word. When you are observing church members, non-church members in this integrity area, I noticed one thing about dating that you had mentioned in your book. 
what are your thoughts about that? What what should uh, if I was a single man and I was dating a girl or dating a young lady, what should be my approach? I know the word integrity is there, and also you have founded this on scripture or have based this on scripture. What do you think is the first step I need to take as a say a single male that's uh, uh, that's uh, dating a, a girl or a lady? Well, now Jay, you're getting into book five. Wilt thou be made whole? Uh, And I just want to read just a little bit from that, not too much. Because in book one of the integrity, I'm just reading this page one from book five of the integrity series, which is entitled, Wilt Thou Be Made Whole? But the first, when you open onto page one, it says developing wholeness of self. That's where you want to start. And that scripture reads, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach. Ecclesiastes 12 and 1. So you just want to go back to God, and that will come. You will learn what the answer to that question in Book 5 of the Integrity Series, Wilt Thou Be Made Whole? That's the first thing you should be thinking of. I mean, you're dating a girl, and the hope is that you're contemplating marriage, because God said he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So I would just encourage you to get my Book 5 of the Integrity Series. But, of course, I would like for you to start with Book 1, the Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them. You have um, one of the, the, the paragraphs that grabbed my attention, which I thought was appropriate to, to also the subject we've just uh, broached. In, uh, in your book, you have, uh, have written this. Again, integrity is moral, good in conduct or character, specifically sexual virtuous, uprightness. Therefore, integrity is noted in single men who, and you have this in bold print, pay their own Come rent and sleep under their own roofs. This includes men who refrain from promis- promiscuous lifestyles. So you have uh, have hit that pretty solidly, and have you had any people respond to that? What was their reaction when they read that? Well, considering this is, book is just being released this past summer, I haven't really gotten it out there. That's why I'm grateful for this radio interview so that the word can get out of the books. So hopefully when men read that, they will you know, think about their own lifestyles and, you know, but also refer to the word of God that's given there, you know, and the integrity of the upright should guide them. And if that's a moral issue, living with someone that's not, you're not married to, then again, this is going to take you back to God because you're talking, you're talking about, um, now you're getting into adultery and see, that's another word with God It's not me. And that's what I want people to understand too, that a as I was writing, God was giving me the word. This is not Sister Coleman. This is all word from God, because he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And if that person is not your wife, then you should not be sleeping with them. I think that's living, that's good. That's good advice on a lot of levels. That's good advice on many levels. Uh, there, there is. Uh, I think when you have a, a, a physical attraction or connection with someone, as you've described, you also, from a spiritual standpoint, have a spiritual connection which is uh, is polluted. It's not God's uh, direction for their lives. Is that the way to describe that? Right. You can say that, but it but make it clear too that it only becomes polluted when you become. Re- uh, connected to that person spiritually, start sleeping with someone prior to marriage. Right. That's where the pollution comes in. When you begin to sin, when you begin to lust after somebody, because even God said, even before you move in, if you lust after a person that you're not married to, you know you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
But if you seek God first and have it in your mind, you want a wife, and then you go to God, you know, and learn the things of God through his word, then he'll lead you. You know, first of all, he'll let you know if that's the person that you're supposed to be married to. Right. And hopefully you will get to understand, okay, if this is not the person I'm supposed to be with, I definitely don't want to be sleeping with them, and you definitely shouldn't be just sleeping with someone for your own gratification with no intent to marry them. You have also you also are described as an evangelist. Uh, are you considered a pretty serious lady, or uh, are you also a fun guy? I mean, actually, a fun gal. Oh yes, I'm funny too. If you ask my children or anybody, <laughs> I'm I'm around. Oh yeah, I'm I'm funny as well. But I mean, with me, God takes precedence over everything. So depending on the circumstances or the venue where I am. That's the Laura Coleman or the Deacon Col- Deaconess Coleman, even or Evangelist Coleman. That's the person you're going to get. And when you, depending when you, on where I am, when, when you wrote this book, you must have had a I would call it a target audience, but uh, an audience that you felt would respond to the contents of the book and benefit from it, maybe as a teaching tool or as an instructional tool. What did you have in mind? Who did you think this would appeal to, and why? Well, as I've written. The book appeals to anyone who has a desire to grow closer to the Lord, who seeks after truth and righteousness. Finding truth, the only way is through the Word of God, because He is the truth, the way, and the light. You've described this as as part of the faith walk, and uh, if integrity is missing, it's uh, something that a person needs to address and make a choice and take action, correct? Exactly, because that's the very one of the foundations of having a relationship with God because of who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's truth. And without integrity, how can you be true? Because integrity is a part of being honest. It's, it's relevant to your character. And our character has to line up with the character as Christians, because through God is Jesus Christ. We, we grow through his son, Jesus. Absolutely. Those who are believers embrace that idea, that concept. You have uh, have written a book that is unique, I think, but I also understand there may be books in the marketplace that are similar to this. Do you think your book is unlike others that have dealt with similar topics, or, or is this something that is set apart from others that are written? I truly doubt if there are any books like this with similar topics. If there are, this one is set apart because... At the time of the original writing, I was not an author, but merely a humble housewife, a mom, spending my days and nights praying and studying God's Word until I was inspired by Him through His Holy Spirit to set the captives free. A a lofty goal in writing any book is to uh, help others in their journey, and in this case, uh, their spiritual journey. This is a, a book that is unique again, 54 pages, the title of which is The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them. And it's book one of the Integrity series. I love the word integrity anyway. It's something that I uh, try to live my life by, integrity, and certainly associate myself with people who have integrity. My author, Laura T. Coleman, Sister Coleman, my listeners will want to get a copy of your series. How do they do so? Authorhouse.com. And I just want to mention that it's one of five books on integrity, and I just, Jay, if you would allow me just to name the titles of the other books. Absolutely, share it. Okay, again, book one, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them, and book two, Train Up a Child in the Way He Should Go, book 
3, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Book 4, provide things honest. And book 5, wilt thou be made whole. And again, these books are all on the subject of integrity, and they were all written to convey the word of God in hopes of leading others in their relationship with the Lord through his son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to say thank you, Jay, for giving me this opportunity My pleasure. to share my book. My pleasure. And again, uh, listeners, this series would be excellent as a Bible study or a uh, teacher's guide, maybe for your class if you're teaching. Uh, again, this is the first in the series, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them, book one of the Integrity series, my author, Laura T. Coleman. Thank you again, Laura, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for having me. My God pl- bless you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Spiritually Circumcise Your Heart and Mind. Obviously a book that has some spiritual significance to our author. My author joins me. Timothy Lee Walker. Welcome, sir, to the program. Yeah, good afternoon. Good to visit with you. Mr. Walker, you have uh, been in uh, ministry, as, at least as a lay pastor or lay minister. This book has some spiritual significance. You have uh, an interest, obviously, in the Bible and things. Where did the idea of writing this book come about? Well, uh, this particular title, um, I've been having a lot of stuff in me for about the last past 16 years, uh, and I know a bishop, and uh, he's an, an author too, and he all he writes about is the heart. And I kept saying, okay, well, that's the first place we have to start at because God knows our heart better than anyone. We can fool other people, but can't fool God. And it all comes that God is a heart knower. Right. So that's why I come up with uh, the heart and then the mind, and then the spiritually circumcised, well, you know, they don't do the Israelites went off from the the physical circumcision, and then the Bible it says spiritually circumcised. So that's why I come up with the title "Spiritually Circumcised: Your Heart and Mind," and that uh, that kind of cleans away from a lot of tradition of men stuff that's being taught in the word. I'm well in churches. Uh, 
churches I had visited and churches I've been in and been associated with. Um, you know, so I, that's where that particular title came from. So I wanted to knock down the norms and normal normal things that we hear and uh, and knock down the traditions of men and go straight to the Word of God. Uh, I call it un- unadulterated Word of God. You, uh, you, ha- you have uh, obviously uh, spent some time studying, and in your book you deal with a very, I guess, a hot topic in the religious community in the church world today, and that's prophecy. Your first chapter talks about the first earth age. Uh, the second one is the second church age. And then you talk about Adam and Eve as a foundation for your book. What did you discover in your study of Adam and Eve, and how do you think it's, it's applicable to today's uh, reader? Well, most readers are taught, and you have to go back, as, um, and when you start the book of Genesis, you just can't read it in English. you got to go back to the original language. Um, and then it it'll give you a whole different perspective. You know, it says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, period. Well, that could have been millions of years ago, and we know by uh, archaeologies and all our scientists that we know the earth is billions of years old. And then it starts, and. So the rest of chapter 1, is all the uh, verses start with and. So that's some significance of why it starts like Because, you, you know, in English, we don't start a sentence with and. And um, in, in um, Hebrew language, there's really no punctuation. But but in verse 2, between verse 1 and verse 2, there's millions of years that, that went on. So uh, when the inquisitive mind wants to know well, what happened between those years, then we come down to the second earth age, which we're living in now, which is the flesh. Um, most people, this is one of the norms, believe that Adam and Eve were the first two human beings on earth. Right. Well, if you break down... Genesis, the first three chapters, then and take it back to original language, then how could they be when Cain went off and married another woman? Now, I know there's a lot of mythologies out there that, yeah, well, Adam and Eve had some other kids, and but he went off to the land of Nod, which was in the east. So mm-hmm. there was already human beings here, but the specific reason of why Adam... And I call it the Adam, which is Hop Adam, because Adam means mankind. But the Adam and Eve, this is where God had, he knew he was coming through. Jesus Christ was coming through from umbilical cord to umbilical cord. So that was his special, I don't like to use, say, race, but we can say that, uh, that he knew he was going to come through. And, and throughout the whole Bible, they had to keep that, lineage clean for him to come through right so um so yeah there's a lot of things that happened but uh even what really happened in the garden um what i would teach and i you know most of the people say eve ate an apple well you know apples not in there right so so what did she do see the serpent, which is one of Satan's characters, went to Eve because God never talked to Eve. He talked to Adam. So we know that most, even these days, we know 
we might put a little twist on it or we might not say exactly what someone told us or leave something out. So that's why he went to Eve. And some certain words that she said, he just played off of them. Right. But the bottom line is, I would teach you that Adam and <laughs> that the serpent had sex with Eve. Hmm. Now, what I'm still, and I'm still in prayer about a lot of things because uh, Adam was right there. So the same fruit that she took of, Adam did too. So the big question, and I leave it in the book for for the people to uh, research it themselves because I'm still in prayer about it. But we know homosexuality is old as time. So did serpent did the serpent appear as a woman and Adam had sex with the serpent or was there some homosexuality? Was there an orgy? I don't know. But what I do know is that Cain is not in Adam's genealogy. So if Cain was a prodigy of Adam, then he wouldn't have his own genealogy. Interesting. So that's why I can I feel comfortable teaching that that well if you look at God talked to the serpent and right there he, he you know he told him he said because you've done this then he told the woman he talked to Eve you know knowing that what has manifested here you know so uh, half of the prophecy was given then. And it wasn't fulfilled until Jesus Christ's uh, feet were nailed to the cross. So there's a lot of things just in that uh, in that particular chapter. Then you know I go down and tell about the genealogy of Cain and Abel, and you got to keep those two lines clear throughout the whole Bible because there's a lot of things, same names, but you just got to keep them separated. Uh, you have 111 pages. Would you say that your book could be termed controversial in some of its viewpoints, but also maybe thought-provoking? Well, yeah, I want people to think. And I want them to think for themselves. It ain't about, well, let me go ask my pastor. I tell them what tools they need, Strong's Concordance. I mean, that's that's a, that's a number one tool that you need. They right. break just any common word down. From Hebrew, Chaldean, which is Aramaic, uh, and um, Greek. You know, when you can break down the simple little words, because in Genesis two, and I don't like to skip around, it says in the earth was without form. But if you take that little word was and take it back to the Hebrew, it is became, and that whole sentence. Now you're saying, oh. Why did the, that's a question? Why did the earth become void and without form? Hmm. Interesting. So, so this you know we know we had an ice age, we know we got a true north, and we know we got a magnetic north. So God tilted the earth, and that's why we got the different seasons as we have now. And you know we got the ice caps. He capped both ends, north and south, and then he, he just froze everything. I mean, if you can get the. Uh, People just to just go to the library and just just read. I mean, and, you know, he didn't hide nothing. Right. You know, you, it was right there in the Old Testament. You know, people like to throw the O away, and 
Well, let me just go to the node. No, no. It's all important. You have uh, you have dealt with several subject matters in here, not just prophecy, but most of it, I think, is uh, related to what would be called end-time events, at least on your focus toward the end of the book. Is this a book that might inspire someone who is maybe a a, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or just a regular student or even someone who is not a churchgoer? I was I would put them all in the same category. I was very agnostic. I've always believed in God, but I had a lot of questions. And I got tired of people saying you got to have faith. Right. And and uh or just believe. Well, you know, when I give my life to something, I mean, this is my life, but it ain't really mine. It's God. You know, he can do whatever he want to do with everybody, whether you believe or not. But once you come to knowing that, okay, I'm going to say I'm going to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that means, okay, yeah, I have to have faith. I have to have belief. But the Holy Spirit is going to unch me that way. But like I said, I was very agnostic. Couldn't nobody answer nothing. I'm running around the heathen. <laughs> Until I got introduced to some other things and start reading the Bible and really digging into it, I'm like, hmm. And then listening to some other uh, teachings and, and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm I'm a type of person, check me out. You know, we can talk about it. You know, I'm not saying I, I know everything. Right. You've managed, but, you said it took nearly 16 years of study or preparation to get this book into print. One of the things that I find in your appendix of, of your book that probably would be of importance to most people would be the books of the Bible and their meaning and time period. The uh, Old Testament, New Testament was not necessarily written in or, or displayed in chronological order, and I'm, right. I'm guessing that you put this in its perspective that way. Well, I kind of tried. I mean, even when you go to the end of it, I mean, uh, it's, you look at John 2 and John 3, that's 90 A.D., and then you go to Jude, that's 65 A.D., and then you go to Revelation, that's 95. So mm-hmm. so I just went down how the index is in there, put down the meanings of the word, because a lot of people say, well, where should I go in the Bible because I'm having this particular problem? I'm not saying I know everything in it, because I don't. I mean, I'm learning every day, and, and you know, uh, I, I learn something every time I open up the word. But the, the meanings of the book will tell you where you need to be in your particular case. Uh, what would you say is your inspiration, not your inspiration behind writing the book, but what do you hope the reader will get from this? Will this be one that just motivates them, or what, what did you want to achieve? I wanted them to achieve that, um, just like we tell little fibs to kids, and kids' minds soak up everything. So when we use the Santa Claus phrase, then they find out, oh, I've been lied to. Mm. So now, mom, and usually come from mom and dad, the most two people that they trust on earth. Well, what else have they lied about? Well, I want to, I want, I want to drive them into the word. They can dive into the book. It, it, it doesn't cost that much for the tools, especially what I use. I mean, I use a lot more than than what I put in the book. But then just. It's a lot of praying. 
and Holy Spirit, I mean, I wanted to come out with this book long, a little bit before, but was kind of hesitant, you know, because I have a lot of uh, Christian friends. Uh, but sometimes, hey, you know, they don't you want to not be my friend because of what I write or I don't believe like you do, then that's kind of on you. Right. You know, because God told me to show myself approved before him, not nobody else. So, and like I said, it's, it's, I had a mentality when I used to teach Bible uh, study, prove me wrong. And my pastor used to say, man, don't never say that. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, because they're going to go and try to prove me wrong. And when this is how I learned, because I try to prove, because things I heard wasn't to what I was taught. Right. So I said, well, let me prove this person wrong. Well, how they come over and it just drove me in the Word. Well, while I was in the Word, Holy Spirit started taking me a lot of different places. And that's how I started learning, you know. Well, so, this, uh, this, is a, this is a book that will challenge the reader then, and if they are involved in church work in any capacity, they can use it as a reference book, obviously, and uh, they can have their own faith challenged and confirmed, as, uh, as you have outlined in your book. The title of the book, again, is Spiritually Circumcise Your Heart and Mind. My author, Timothy Lee Walker. Mr. Walker, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, well, right now, they can get it at Amazon.com. They can get it on uh, Barnes & Noble, or they can come to my website, which is TLWSelfPublishingCompany.com. Excellent. I'm sure that because of the response you've had on this, there may be a book in the future. Is that something that's in the works? Oh yes, I have um, I have a book that should be out uh, either late January the first of February, and it's called The Four Horns That Control This Earth Age. Phenomenal! Another book to uh, motivate us and to challenge our thinking. Thank you, sir, for sharing your story and the story of this book, Spiritually Circumcised Your Heart and Mind. Thank you for joining me today, sir. I right, thank you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.